0: Today, we finish our message series in the book of 1 Peter, entitled Rumors of Hope. Throughout his first general epistle, Peter sought to encourage believers scattered throughout the provinces of Asia Minor as they encountered resistance. Christianity was new. Initially, people filed it as a sect of Judaism, an offshoot of a familiar religion. But over time, it came to be seen as uniquely dangerous. Unlike the Jews, Christians talked incessantly about their King Jesus and claimed to be indwelt and empowered by a Holy Spirit. Their reticence to participate in cultural celebrations and the empire's religious festivals marked them for abuse. And Peter addressed the injustice they suffered with great truths about the privilege of being chosen by God, great truths about their living hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. He urged them not to return to the pattern of their old lives, but form their new lives in Christ's life and steward the grace they'd received, addressing suffering unashamed, their consciences clear. As Peter signs off, he addresses the important role of shepherds and sheep in the church, God's spiritual house, how the living stones anchored by the cornerstone fit together. In 1 Peter chapter five, we see how God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, How it works pastors and people christ's hands and feet peter frames his comments with a familiar biblical image and that is of shepherds moses was called from jethro's flocks to shepherd israel jacob proclaimed that the lord had been his shepherd throughout his life later king david was a shepherd who became a king God, through the prophets, condemned the false shepherds of his people who behaved like wolves, scattering and devouring the sheep. Psalm 23, the best-known passage uh, from the Bible, describes the care of the good shepherd who restores, guides, protects, and pursues the sheep. In 1 Peter 2.25, Peter refers to Jesus as the shepherd and overseer of your souls, gathering his sheep, calling them by name. Jesus is the pattern, he's the good shepherd, whose sheep hear his voice, who protects and heals, leading his sheep to refreshment in good pasture. Peter's perspective on shepherding was shaped by an experience he had with Jesus years before. Over breakfast in Galilee, Jesus appeared a third time after his resurrection to his disciples and restored Peter's commission as shepherd of God's flock. In John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Well, yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? <clears throat> Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And the term for shepherd, poimen, is the term from which we derive pastor. Jesus taught Peter that love is the essence of pastoral leadership and is, and is at the heart of Peter's criteria for good shepherds. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses one through three, we see Peter's list for good shepherds. It says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And Peter begins his address to shepherds by modeling the humility he hopes will be evident in them. Peter personally experienced Jesus's entire ministry. He saw the miracles and healings, heard his teaching, and was there at the Transfiguration, when Jesus' glory shone through his humanity. Peter had stories uh, that could have made these leaders feel like the junior varsity, but appeals to them as a fellow elder with the authority of an eyewitness. He showed the same humility in the salutation of his second epistle. In 2 Peter 1, verse 1, it begins, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. A faith as precious as the apostles who had actually walked with the Lord Jesus. It is still just as precious and just as real. And like the Lord Jesus, Peter learned humility by the things that he suffered, except he wasn't Experiencing a lot of unjust suffering, Peter's life was a human highlight film of bad ideas, rash words, and impulsive acts, but he learned much through those things. Uh, Peter had an important word for shepherds caring for sheep in difficult times. In the category Qualities of a Good Shepherd, Peter identifies four essential measures, each motivated by love. First, Good Shepherd's Watch, overseeing the needs of the flock. Good shepherds see that their people are properly fed with biblical teaching, a balanced diet of exhortation and encouragement. They see that their flock is feeding in rich pastures of prayer and fellowship, strengthened in faith and growing toward maturity. It's the shepherd's role to keep the sheep from straying and doing harm to themselves and others. Sheep are notorious for wandering off into dangerous territory, feeding in polluted pastures and becoming cast on their backs. And so it is with Christians. We can stray unaware that we're straying. We can become susceptible to false doctrine that leads us astray. We can neglect prayer, fellowship, and the word of God. We can get tired of serving others, of being part of a community, or or tired of just caring. Good shepherds provide guidance and protection. Watch care for souls. Secondly, Good shepherds serve willingly, joyfully, not out of some sense of duty. And this brings up the question of calling. Is there a special call for a shepherd, for a pastor? First Timothy chapter 3, verse one, it says, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. So aspire and desire, we see that, but does this constitute a calling? Now, in one sense, all Christians are called according to their gifts in their vocation as a Christian. But I've known personally since my junior year of college that I've carried this sense of call uh, to the local church as a pastor. In difficult seasons, that conviction has renewed my passion when the demands of ministry and expectations of people crushed my spirit. But even if there's a special call, Pastoral ministry is not a duty. Pastoral ministry is an honor. Good shepherds don't make people feel like they're doing them a favor by taking the time and effort to care for their needs. If someone comes up to me and gets an earful about my packed schedule and how difficult it is to balance the demands of ministry and family and how I need a vacation, blah, blah, blah. But yes, I will meet with you. Well, they'll just feel like they're bothering me. Steadfast and diligent in their daily commitments to the sheep, good shepherds serve willingly, not grudgingly. Motivated only by love and a sense of purpose. I've always felt it a blessing that people actually come to me and sometimes listen to what I say. And if a person cannot lead joyfully, that person should not be in leadership at all. God does not want anyone to diminish the value, the joy of service. A third quality Good shepherds are not motivated by money or favors. Uh, One of the biblical qualifications for an elder in the church found in 1 Timothy 3 is uh, not a lover of money, not fond of sordid gain. So fiscal responsibility, staying out of debt and living a simple lifestyle protects the reputation of the gospel. While a pastor may have the responsibility to provide for their family, money cannot become the focus. When my pastor growing up, uh, Dr. George Peake, heard that I was going into ministry, he said to me, Dean, let me give you some advice. Never ask for a raise and never turn one down, which, which seemed about right, <laughs> which is what I have done uh, through all these years. And while the attitude of some churches toward pastoral compensation is, Lord, uh, you keep him humble and we'll keep him poor, That has never been my experience. I'll sometimes hear pastors talk about how much more money they could make by having another job. And there's the implication that this church or God himself are so fortunate that they chose to do this. Well, I've worked with some folks like that over the years. Uh, I'm not so sure they're a bargain at all. I'd like to see some of them get out in the tech world, let's say, and slug it out and see how well they do. If compensation is a concern, the pastor or staff member uh, should find a job outside of vocational ministry. It just can't be the focus. It's not unusual for our staff to reflect on how truly privileged we feel, how fortunate we are that we actually get paid to do this stuff. And finally, good shepherds do not seek to dominate the sheep, uh, not lording it over those entrusted to you, Peter says. Lording it over is an interesting phrase. It's an idiom that means to behave as if you're better than someone else and have the right to tell them what to do. Lording it over does not reflect servant leadership. Where church leaders support and encourage from below and lift up, they don't push from above. Good shepherds don't pursue leadership roles in order to wield power. And good shepherds aren't hung up on titles. When I, when I began a doctor of ministry program 30 years ago, I remember a huddle with other students. We were asked to share what we hoped to derive from the program. And when one of them said it was to gain the title doctor, I laughed out loud thinking he was kidding, but he wasn't. Now, instead of seeking God's agenda, title-conscious, power-hungry church leaders pursue their own. They have their own agenda, doing what they can to increase their own reputation. And the fact is that authority is like soap. The more you use it, the less you have. And humble people know that authority does not come through the position itself, but the way in which the position is filled. Good shepherds don't expect people to respond to them simply because of their title or position. Influence is earned. And Peter urges shepherds to lead by example, according to Jesus' example, in order to earn that influence. On to First Peter 5, verse 4. Peter says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And so note how he identifies Jesus. He calls him the chief shepherd. We are under shepherds of the great shepherd who will one day reward servants who serve willingly and eagerly. And the attraction is not that we'll be compensated in some way, but rather that we'll receive far more than we could ever deserve. The crown of glory will come by God's grace. We do not earn it. And grace upon grace, he pours out on his people, be they leaders or followers. The crown of glory is for all who faithfully serve. After lining out the qualities of good shepherds, Peter presents his list for good sheep. In verse 5, it says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now, Peter's list begins with humility, applied first to the shepherd sheep relationship, which is a symbiotic relationship. It's interdependent. As good shepherds submit uh, to their best interests, the sheep respond with mutual submission. Catalyst in response, shepherds submit, then sheep submit. Uh, younger generations within a church community can sometimes get impatient with leadership and uh, struggle uh, with their authority, and often, sometimes even reject it. In a church spanning five generations, it's difficult to maintain a ministry that is relevant to every member in every respect. Younger generations can make a huge impact when they humbly bring their ideas and concerns, uh, which is a test for the humility of pastoral leaders. Good shepherds respond in ways that build confidence in their leadership. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. So this is their responsibility. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Clothe yourselves with humility, as Peter puts it. Pictures uh, a servant putting on an apron before before serving, uh, just as Jesus girded himself with a towel and took on the servant's posture to wash the disciples' feet at the Last Supper. The term humility, it comes from humus, ground, uh, with the suffix, suffix isle, which refers to capability. And so humility is the capability of being a grounded person. Your, your feet are on the ground. Uh, a humble person is grounded. Humility means to have the right estimate Of oneself, a so sober judgment of oneself, not too high or low. A humble person doesn't denigrate their abilities or undersell their value. The early church theologian Augustine had this to say about humility. He said humility is the foundation of all the other virtues. Hence, in the soul in which this virtue does not exist, there cannot be any other virtue except in mere appearance. Why let that sink in? Now the exhortation to humility, it leads Peter to speak broadly now to the whole community. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And from the venerable elder to the new young convert, everyone is to be clothed with humility, to be grounded toward one another. Peter reminds them that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Arrogance and pride play for another team. In fact, God is competitive with pride. He opposes it. God opposes the proud, but works with the humble, because the humble can be worked with, (laughs) giving them grace to live to his glory uh, and to weather the persecutions that are there. Verses 6 and 7, Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, That he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Our humility before God should open our eyes to our true condition um, in terms of who God is and who we are. Uh, God's greatness. God promises to promote each of us at the right time, in his time. He's in that position to do that, but he has his own timetable. We don't have to grasp There's no cause for anxiety. He hasn't forgotten about us. As grounded people, we know our limitations and don't take responsibility for things that are not our concern. Um, And God extends his grace. What makes humility so desirable, why it is so important, is the capacity it has for us to build an intimacy with God. Listen to Psalm 131, 1 and 2. It says, my heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Just that picture of intimacy and contentment. And that will bring the crown of glory when the Lord appears again. He will lift us up. In due time, because he sees us, he cares for us. After underscoring the importance of humility, Peter continues uh, with his list of qualities for good sheep. The next one is good sheep are ready. verse eight, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, Peter continues this theme of readiness uh, throughout 1st Peter the need for readiness in 1st 1 Peter 1:13 1, it says therefore prepare your minds for action be self-controlled set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed in 1st Peter chapter 4 verse 7 it says the end of all things is near and therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray in light of the spiritual perils all around vigilance is a key like sentinels watching on a wall, Christians must, must watch for the enemy. And we should not be surprised when Satan attacks. Now, the harsh reality is that there's a powerful being set against God and his followers watching for an opportunity to destroy us. And that's a frightening thought, isn't it? Have you ever had a person in your life you were convinced was set against you, actively seeking your demise, your unhappiness, Your failure, Now, the DMV, by the way, doesn't count. The devil schemes and devours. He consumes the impact and influence of believers whenever possible. He seeks to embarrass God by eating us alive, moving us from our place so that evil can take it. And The devil isn't responsible for all the nonsense that we do. We're fully capable and responsible for making bad choices without his help fully capable of deserved suffering. But are you watching for where he might set a trap for you? In most cases, the trap has been long in the preparing and our ability to resist has been quietly weakened. Maybe you're a college student and your Christian presuppositions are being attacked and you're struggling in your faith. Maybe you're desperate to be married to someone and you're being drawn toward a person who does not love God. Maybe you want so badly to be financially secure that you're being dishonest in your dealings. And maybe you're even stealing from God. Maybe, like Peter's readers, the multitude around you that don't believe is wearing you down and you're too tired to stand. Well, Peter shares one more quality of good sheep good sheep stand firm, good sheep stand ready, and they stand firm. Verse 9, resist him, Peter says, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Peter references unjust suffering and connects their experience with that of Christians everywhere. Peter encourages his readers that they're not alone. Others face the same challenges, the same trials, the same persecutions, and the same unfairness. By standing firm, you stand with them. Galatians 5.1, Paul said, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm. It's an exercise of our freedom to stand firm. And the term for stand firm is a military term. It has the imagery of Roman soldiers standing side by side with their large shields linked together, forming an impenetrable wall. When you stand, you stand with others undergoing the same sufferings. And your resistance gives them hope. Your faith gives them a place to stand. And everything that we experience is part of God's grace. God stands with us, and so stand firm in that grace. Verse 10, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. God is there for them. Let's break that sentence down. Peter begins, and the God of all grace. So he's the God of grace in all its forms. The gospel, salvation, the gifts that he provides, the strength he gives us for service who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Peter refers again to the glorious inheritance that awaits them, placing sufferings in the context of hope. After you have suffered a little while, note the contrast between glory and suffering. Glory is eternal, suffering is temporary. He says, will, he will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast. This God of all grace will do what he has promised. He will give grace to the humble and lift them up in due time. He will not abandon his people. And all that are being called to do and all that we are being called to do is to stay firm in faith and trust God. And after this, Peter breaks into a doxology of praise of the faithfulness of God. He says, to him be the power forever and ever, amen. So Peter has shared his... Qualities, his qualifications for good shepherds. He's also given a description of good sheep. And now we see his farewell. And this is truly a shepherd's farewell. In 1 Peter 5, 12 through 14, Peter says goodbye. It says, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So Peter closes the letter with notes of encouragement and thanks from a good shepherd. This is truly a shepherd's farewell. With Silas's help, Peter has written as urgently and accurately as he knows how. And Peter can't say enough about Silas, a truly dependable brother and friend. He has the highest regard for him. And these guys went to war together and built a bond reflected in Peter asking Silas to serve as the amanuensis of this letter, the, the secretary. He dictated it to him. And uh, Silas you know, smoothed out some of the language from the old fisherman. Um, but he's also the courier for this letter. And so Silas's task would have been to, after the letter was finished, to take it to these various cities that Peter has referenced uh, in his um, citation, and to visit uh, scriptoriums that were called by these churches in Asia Minor to make copies of Peter's letter. And so a scriptorium um, was an event where the people within the church would come with their their materials, their parchment, their stylus, uh, and then this letter, Peter's letter, would be taken in red, one, Letter at a time, and those folks would make their own personal copy, and this is why we have literally hundreds of thousands of fragments of letters uh, of, from scripture uh, from the first few centuries. And so, and this was called a circular letter, and so the authenticity uh, was gauged actually by the distribution. So, if this went to one city, did it go to more cities, and it continued to circulate? And so that is why First Peter is one of the reasons it's in the canon. And Peter is confident that this letter accurately reflects the grace of God. He says, she who is in Babylon, uh, this connects the entire church in exile with Peter's readers, which he has just done. And Babylon is just a reference to the exile and to believers in exile. Uh, It's Peter's way of referencing the church in exile. And Peter honors his protege Mark by mentioning greetings from him as well. Mark went on to pen the Gospel of Mark, with Peter providing much of the content. And not being in the age of COVID-19, Peter encourages them to continue their practice of greeting each other with a kiss of love. And then Peter wishes them shalom, his version of peace, I'm out. Peter's encouragement to his readers is his encouragement to us even in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic and the national press for equality don't fixate on your circumstance don't get bent over by these things, be present in your moment and don't try to get out of it but live into it and don't worry about cultural norms or the fact that you're in the minority in some way, don't Grow weary in well-doing. Represent the Lord Jesus and his love. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill and guide you. Seek peace, but don't settle for peace at any price. No matter how low it goes, God is there with you. And no matter how high you might get, God is there with you too. God is inclined towards you. He's paying attention to you. He's the good shepherd giving watch over your soul.